Welcome to the TriStar Church Podcast. We're so glad that you have tuned in today. My name is Matt Grimes, lead pastor of TriStar Church, and I want to encourage you to like and follow us on social media, as well as subscribe to our podcast. You'll find weekly sermons, midweek deep dives, and more right here every single week. I pray that you're challenged and encouraged as you listen, not just to the words that are spoken, but to the Holy Spirit who is speaking to you through this resource. Now let's dive in. been here with us. We've been studying through the book of Acts. In fact, we're taking this entire year and we're going to study through the book of Acts together. Um, And uh, right now we have worked all the way through Peter's ministry and we have just put kind of a pin in that um, uh, at the stoning of Stephen. And this is kind of where it transitions from looking at Peter's ministry and his life uh, and his uh, role that he played in the expansion of the early church. And it begins to move into uh, Paul and his influence. And uh, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back to it later in the year. We've got a lot planned. We're going to do a three-week series uh, entitled Gentle and Lowly, looking at who Jesus is and who Jesus claimed to be. What that means, what that meant for the early church, what that means for us, and that series is going to conclude on Easter Sunday, and then we're going to spend uh, a couple of months working through the Old Testament and the different kings, uh, specifically uh, with uh, 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 King Saul and David and Solomon and Absalom, and looking at their kingship and uh, what we can learn from them. It's going to be a great time together. So uh, welcome if today is your first time. If you've got a copy of Scripture, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, Uh, you can open up there, and as you're opening, uh, if you don't have a copy of Scripture, it'll be on the screens behind us, don't worry, Uh, you'll be able to follow along. But I want to ask you a question, when you think about a picture of who Jesus is, what comes to your mind? Like, what idea do you have? Like, like, like what, what ways would you describe him? And what I can tell you this morning is that whatever we think about Jesus, whatever idea or characteristics we assign to Jesus and we think about when we think of him is the most important thing about us. A.W. Tozer, if you've ever read him in uh, The Knowledge of the Holy, says that what comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. I read this book uh, not long after I became a believer, and it was uh, very influential on my life, and that statement still holds true. Why? Because we all have an idea of who Jesus is. For some of us, Jesus is just, you know, kind of like the, 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 the late 70s, you know, hippie, all love, all peace, all things good, right? And if that's our view of Jesus, it begins to shape how we interact with him, how we shape, uh, how we interact with our neighbors. The same is true if our view of Jesus is that he's this militant, uh, uh, almost dictator uh, Jesus and Savior, there begins to be this fear that sets in in our interaction with him. Why? Because the way we think about him, affects the way in which we interact with him. It was true of the early Christians. Tanner shared it just a few minutes ago. If you look at the early church, if you look at the disciples, let's just start with the disciples who hung out with Jesus. They thought Jesus, because he told them that he was the Messiah, and he said he was coming to establish his kingdom here on earth. And so when they hear Jesus say these things, they immediately go, Israel's coming back. We're going to be a nation to rival the Roman Empire. Jesus is going to make us the cream of the crop of nations. 
They had this idea that he would be a conquering, ruling savior. And it began to drive their decisions. Why do you think Peter lopped off the ear of the Roman guard who was coming to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? Because he thought Jesus was the conquering Messiah who was coming to establish his kingdom. And if he cut off the ear of the soldier, it was going to set it all in motion. And Jesus was going to establish his kingdom right then with power and with force. His idea of Jesus shaped the way that he built his life and interacted and chose to act and speak. It's true of us. In our own lives, as we think about people that we interact with, our thoughts and the way that we think about others begins to impact the way in which we interact with them. If you don't, don't believe me, just go back to your high school days, right? The way you viewed your friends, who you thought they were, shaped the way in which you interacted with them. Me and my, my, my buddies in high school, we all were convinced we were going to be Navy SEALs when we grew up. None of us are Navy SEALs, right? None of us are that good at anything, right? We, couldn't, we would not even make a, a week of basic camp uh, with, or a basic training in the Army, much, long, much less SEAL training, right? But all of us fueled off of each other because we, we thought each other were like these major like SEAL warriors. And so we do these crazy challenges on weekends like jump a train in our town and ride it to uh, you know, the, the, the next local town and jump off and have a car stashed there. and drive, Like all these crazy uh, things that we never do on our own. Why? Because we thought we were all like macho, tough SEAL guys and none of us were. We were a bunch of city guys who had no clue what we were doing and wouldn't have survived, right? But the same is true of Jesus. What we think about him, our idea of who he is, what he is like, will shape everything about us. A.W. Tozer went on to say in Knowledge of the Holy, he says, The gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most portentous fact about any man is not what he at any given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. This is true not only of the individual Christian, but also the company of Christians that compose the church, us. Always the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God, just as her most significant message is what she says about him or leaves unsaid, for her silence is often more eloquent than her speech. What you and I think to be true about Jesus and what we corporately as a church think to be true about Jesus will dictate everything in the way in which we choose to interact with him and everything about the way we choose to interact with our family, with our co-workers, with our friends, with our neighbors. This is why it's essential that we have a right view of who Jesus is, that we have an understanding of Jesus that is scriptural, not what we feel or what we want to be true of Jesus. And so if we're going to have a right understanding of Jesus, what better place to go than Jesus himself, right? Let's go to Jesus' words. But here's the challenge. When you look throughout all of the Gospels, if you take Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, over 89 individual chapters of Scripture in those Gospel accounts, there is only one place in which Jesus kind of pulls back his skin and lets us see his own heart, who he is. You can read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you're going to learn a lot about Jesus' teachings. 
They're going to tell about his birth. They're going to give us incredible detail about his life and his ministries. You're going to find out who his 12 disciples were, what they were like, where they went. You're going to be told about the places that Jesus hung out at. You're going to be uh, 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 taught who the people Jesus loved to spend the most time with and what he told them. The Gospels for us are going to show us the intimacy of Jesus' prayer life and what his spiritual habits are like. You're going to watch in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as Jesus uh, acknowledges that he is the fulfillment of over 300 different Old Testament prophecies. You're going to watch as he is arrested, as he is beaten, as he is unjustly hung on a cross to die. And you will see him miraculously be raised and resurrected from the dead. All of that you're going to find in the Gospels. But only in one place in all of the Gospels do we hear Jesus open up and say, this is who I am. This is what I'm like. I know there's a lot of stuff swirling around out there about who I am and what my nature is like and what I care about, but listen closely. Here is my heart. This is me. We find it in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Jesus is speaking here in verse 28, and he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus gives us this rare look into his heart of who he chooses to be at the core of who he is. And in this heart, Jesus is going to give us three truths that ought to bring about hope in our own life. And so what are those three truths that we learn as we look at the heart of Jesus? Um, The first is here in Matthew 11, 29. He says, take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am what? Gentle and lowly in heart. It's the entire essence of this series. The first truth is that Jesus chooses to be gentle towards us. Jesus chooses to be meek in his interactions with us. In the one place that Jesus lets us see his heart, we do not find a demanding and dictator Savior. We do not find a Savior who is so far above us, who is so holy, who is so other than, that he is set uh, uh, off at a distance from us and unavailable to us. That's not who Jesus says he is. Of all the ways that Jesus could rightly choose to interact with us, Jesus says, I choose gentleness. Now when the Bible talks about this idea of the heart, it's not talking about our emotional life like you and I, when we talk about, oh, you just made a decision from the heart. That's another way of saying, you know, you're just an emotional person and you make emotional, rash decisions. That's not how the Bible talks about the heart. In this time when you spoke about this is my heart, here's what you're saying. It was thought to be the very center of who you are. It's what gets you out of bed in the morning. It's what you dream about during the day. And it's what you think about as you drift off to sleep at night. Your heart is the motivational headquarters of all you do. And so in the Bible, the heart is not a part of who you are, but it's the very center of who you are. 
And that is why our heart is what defines us and directs us. And so when Jesus says, look at my heart, come to me. All of you who are weary, who are tired, who are exhausted, for in my heart, listen, I'm gentle, not exacerbating. I'm not exhausting. I'm not demanding. I am gentle. In my heart, I choose to be gentle. It's what drives Jesus, what directs him. And because our heart is what directs us and moves us, that's why Solomon tells us in Proverbs 4.23 that you've got to guard your heart with all vigilance. Why? Because it is the wellspring of your life. Out of your heart flows everything you say and you do. Your heart will dictate what you do in life. And when Jesus says, here's my heart, what he says to be most true of him, what he exposes to us when we look into his heart is gentleness and humility. Nobody would have thought this was the Savior Jesus was claiming to be. This wasn't the Savior. They had a a conquering, fighting Savior in mind. Meek, mild, humble. That's who Jesus says he is. That's how he chooses to interact with his children. The best way I know to describe it is the, 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 the love that a mother has for her child. Listen, there are a lot of people I can blow it with, right? A lot of people you can blow it with, but I can promise you there's one person in your life that you'll never blow it with outside of Jesus, and it's your mama. And you can do the stupidest, most dumb thing in your life, and there's going to be a gentleness and a humility in which she chooses to interact with you. And it's that same gentleness and humility that Jesus has towards us. He's not some harsh, reactionary, easily angered Savior. He is the most understanding person. But unfortunately, that's not how most people see Jesus. Because in the church, we tend to talk about Jesus' wrath and his anger towards sin, and it creates this distant, angry God who doesn't want to have anything to do with us, a God who has to be worked towards. But the posture that Jesus says is most natural to him is arms wide open. Gentleness. And this isn't a one-time way in which he chooses to interact with us. It's how he consistently interacts with us over time. Now, I want to be careful because I can see it spinning in some of you. You're saying, you mean Jesus isn't wrathful? Oh, yeah, he's wrathful. There's lots of anger and wrath towards sin. But the way Jesus chooses to interact with his children is not that way. Why? Because every ounce of anger and wrath that he has, that his father has towards sin, was poured out on him on the cross so that it doesn't have to be poured out on his children, on the ones who bend their knee to Jesus and acknowledge who he is and what he has done for them and accept his gift of salvation. There's wrath. Just a few verses before, he was talking about those who do not know him and these cities that uh, are pagan cities, and he's talking about his wrath towards them. There is wrath, but it's not how he chooses to interact with those who belong to him. Towards his children, 
Jesus is gentle. He is humble. The second truth we see is that Jesus accepts us right where we are. Listen to his words, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all who, are, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What does Jesus do? He invites us to come to him. He's demonstrating that he is an accessible savior. He is not a distant, far off savior who can't be accessed. For all of his goodness, for all of his holiness, for all of his uniqueness and set-apartness and otherness, there is no one else in history who has ever been more approachable than Jesus Christ. And what is remarkable is if there ever should have been someone who should be unapproachable, it should be Jesus. And yet he says, come to me. Come to me. comes to Jesus, he is not a distant savior. There's no prerequisites you have to do in order to access Jesus. There's no hoops you've got to jump through. In fact, the minimum bar for for the embrace of Jesus is this, is that you would open yourself up to him and acknowledge your need for him. Church, that's all he needs. And in fact, That's what he requires. It's for us to acknowledge our need for him and that he is our savior and bow our knee to him. Who qualifies to come to Jesus? All those who labor. All those who are heavy laden. All those who are tired, who are exhausted by the weight of sin. All of those who are sick, who are hurting, who are suffering, who are wondering how they will get through this day to the next day, Jesus says, come to me. You don't need to unburden yourself. You don't need to go collect your thoughts. You don't need to go clean yourself up and make yourself look pretty enough to come to me. He says, come to me right where you are. I welcome you right where you are in the midst of your sin. I died for you. Your burden, my burden, does not alienate me from Jesus. It is what qualifies me to approach Jesus. It is my burden. It is my sin that says I need Jesus, that I need a Savior. And so I love that when Jesus opens his heart up and he says, I am gentle and I am humble and he shows us his heart, not only does he show us that he chooses to be gentle towards us and that should bring about hope in our life, but Jesus also says everyone is welcome to come. No one is off limits. No one is too tainted by sin and their poor decisions to come to me. The third truth we find in the heart of Jesus when he reveals it to us is this, is that Jesus offers us rest. Listen to verse 29 through 30. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you've been in the church for any time, I'm sure you heard sermons where they talk about uh, this idea of yoking uh, these oxen together where you would take oxen and you would put them side by side and you put a, a yoke across their back that ties them together. 
This is the idea that Jesus is giving you. And he says, listen, come to me. I will give you rest. It's not, uh, it's not a transaction. This is a gift. I want to give you, I want to gift to you rest. And I love that when Jesus talks about this, when Jesus says, hey, I offer you rest, he doesn't single out specific sins on how we got to the place where we're exhausted and burdened and completely weighed down. He doesn't say how we got there. And I'm glad he didn't say that. Why? Because it means that his promise here applies to all of us universally, all of us who are burdened by the weight of sin, all of us who are weighed down, all of us who are exhausted, all of us who are wondering how we're going to get to the next day. Jesus says, listen, I offer you rest. In me, you will find rest. But he's not talking about physical rest. Most of us, when we hear Jesus say that, we're like, man, I just, I just want rest from my circumstances. And Jesus is offering us a rest that is all-consuming. A rest we feel in our minds, in our body, and in our spirit what I call soul rest. And the only place we find this rest is in Jesus. It's deeper than any kind of physical rest that we could have. It's better than any kind of Sunday afternoon nap that we're looking forward to this afternoon. It's not circumstantial. doesn't need to be renewed. Because soul rest has its roots in something that is unshakable and it is in faith and confidence that we are deeply and unconditionally loved and held safely in the arms of our Father through Jesus. The rest Jesus offers us comes when we fully trust in God. When we declare Jesus to be the Lord of our life, he's not just someone we read about in Scripture. He's something that changes us. Jesus is offering you rest for your soul. A rest that can't be shaken by your circumstances, can't be shaken by sickness, can't be shaken by people choosing to walk out on you and to hurt you with their words. It's a rest that will not be moved. And so as we look at the heart of Jesus, Jesus says, I'm gentle. humble, I'm meek, I'm mild. I don't care what the world says I'm like. I don't care what your image is of who you think I am because of what you were taught and how you grew up in the church and things were taught to you or the image that you have of your heavenly father because of your earthly father. I don't care about those images and those thoughts and those ideas. Let me show you my heart gentle I'm a humble Savior and what I promise you is that I'll choose to be gentle towards you as my child not harsh not reactionary but gentle and in my heart I invite all to come to me no one's disqualified. No one's left out. Anyone can come. And when you come to me, what you are going to find is rest. Deep soul 
rest that can't be shaken by your circumstances, that can't be shaken by sickness, that can't be shaken by what other people do to you because it is rest that is rooted in me and what I've done on the cross. What's interesting is the context in which Jesus speaks these words in Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Spent some time uh, as I was preparing for this sermon, just going back and making sure I have the full picture of what Jesus is talking about here. And as you read, uh, before Jesus speaks these words, you find out that uh, John the Baptist has just been arrested. And as Jesus is speaking these words, these words here in verse 28 are in the story in which John is in prison and waiting on death row to be beheaded and executed because of his allegiance to Jesus. And sitting on death row, John sends a message out to Jesus, and he goes this, hey, hey, um, listen, Jesus, I want to know something. Is this all you got for me? Is this it? Is losing my head for you, is that your plan? Is that what you have for me? Maybe this morning you're, you're listening to this and you're, you're in that same boat as John and you're going, is this it? Is this life what, what I'm walking through? What I'm dealing with? Is this it, Jesus? And Jesus does not respond to John with, hold on, I'll be there in a few days and I'll bust you out of jail like I've done with so many other people. He speaks Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Rest. yet John would remain in prison until he was beheaded. Humanly speaking, John's yoke was not easy. His burden was not light. What was Jesus up to? What is Jesus talking about here? John is crying out to Jesus going, give me something better, give me something great. Verses one through three, when he sends message to Jesus and he says, hey, is this it? Jesus sends back his people and he says, go tell John this. The blind are seeing, the lame are walking, the deaf are being able to hear. Look at all the miraculous things that are happening. Go tell John what you hear and see, Jesus says. For the poor have good news preached to them. Jesus talks about rest from pain and suffering. And a lot of us, when we think about rest, when we put ourselves in John's situation, we're going, man, John's wanting, he's wanting relief from prison. He's wanting relief from execution. And isn't that how we often think about Jesus too? As we're walking through, God, I just need relief from my circumstances and what's going on here. 
kind of rest Jesus offers is so much better. If a good night's sleep and an easy life was all Jesus had to give to John, it would not have been enough to keep him chained to Christ. John would ultimately die for his faith. He would die not for a handful of miracles that had already happened that he had witnessed and watched, but for a tsunami of healing and miracles that were still coming from the life and the ministry of Jesus that would be paved by the sacrifice of John's own life. Somewhere John must have understood that the rest he needed was not rest from his circumstances, but rest that could only come from a savior who was gentle and lowly. And like John, all of us are broken by sin. All of us are longing for a cure. And Jesus is moving amongst us. He is removing the yoke of sin that is bending and breaking our backs and our hearts. And suffering and sleepiness and exhaustion are all temporary. But the good news for us this morning was the good news for John as he sat in prison. And that is this, is that the burden of sin is no longer ours to carry. Because Jesus has taken it off of us. And in exchange, he gives us rest. Jesus took our burden so that the kind of rest that we could receive is the kind that moves in and seeps into all of who we are. And it revives our weary and exhausted souls. This is the rest Jesus is offering us. Right where we are in the midst of our burdens, in the middle of our sin. And he does so with complete gentleness, humility, and compassion towards his children. This is a countercultural savior. This is a savior that I need and that you need more than a conquering warrior savior. And this is a savior the people and the places that you live and you work and you play need to see desperately. And so this morning, way we learn that Jesus is gentle and humble. That that's what drives him in all he does. And that he invites us to come to him. That he chooses to be gentle towards us and he offers us a rest our souls that is so much deeper than circumstantial rest physical rest in this life I'd ask you to bow your heads for a moment and would you stand just right where you are I would say <clears throat> that many of us if we're honest would find ourselves identified in Jesus' words here as he begins in Matthew 28. Come to me, all who are weary, who are burdened, who are heavy laden. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're tired, you're exhausted. 
that's you, would you just cry out to God and tell him that this morning? He invites you to come to him. Would you just tell him what's weighing you down? Tell him the burden you're carrying. It's exhausting. Father, we come from so many different places in our lives. God, we walk into this place this morning as believers who know who you are. We know of your goodness, and yet we also know of the hardness of life. It can be exhausting. It can be tiring. We come in carrying burdens and weights. And what we say this morning is we just need you, Jesus. And so we come to you this morning knowing that you are a gentle Savior who accepts us with your arms wide open, love and compassion and mercy. And may we feel that mercy rain down on us. We would be reminded above all the circumstances in our life that may weigh us down. You have taken the one burden off our shoulders that we could never address, and that is our sin. And may we find freedom in that. May we find rest in that. May we know that no matter what happens in this life, no matter what we experience, no matter what difficulty we walk through, that on the other side of it is Jesus. And we will not walk alone. He will go with us. We find rest and hope and freedom in our gentle Savior. It's in your name we pray. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you live in the greater Knoxville area, we would love for you to join us for a worship gathering. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. For directions and more information, please visit www.tristarnox.org. Lastly, resources like this one are made possible by the financial support and generosity of people just like you. If you would like more information on supporting TriStar Church, please visit our website, or you can text the word GIVE to 865-240-0353 and follow the prompts. Your generosity and support will empower us to continue to partner with believers, equipping them to make disciples by living out the gospel in the places they live, work, and play. Grace and peace.